0: came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response.
1: Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place.
2: Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding.
1: I'm Xenia Czmutina.
2: And I'm Darian Alexander-Williams. This is Disasters Deconstructed a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Today's episode is part of season four.
3: Thank
1: you for tuning in. I'm sure you both know that it's International Women's Day today, Mm -hmm. so hooray. It's Literally my favorite holiday in the world, because in Russia, we get a day off. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm kind of trying to introduce it in the UK, but nobody takes up on it somehow, you know. Uh, So please join my movement in making sure that International Women's Day um, is a day off. But yeah, like in in Russia, it kind of makes sense, right? I guess of Soviet Union and of this whole like international socialist women's um, movement. which which was led by uh, clara satkin so yeah i just i just think it's just such a nice holiday you know and I, it's been a bit kind of commercialized right and turned into this like oh <laughs> let's just challenge things once a year you know
4: was it international working women's day at some point um because of the socialists and then it got dropped at some point after that i don't know the the history of that name change
1: so n- not in russia it was always international women's day and so it okay. was always celebrated on the 8th of march um right. but of course like historically originally right the idea was that the day um it's it, it was like a day of, pro- of protest in, in a good way right like in a day of resistance uh because it was um celebrating uh women's yeah. rights but then I think gradually it kind of became perhaps a celebration of womanhood, and you know the protest element. And um, now, certainly in Russia, is forgotten. Um, but but of course, you know, because it comes from Clara Zetkin, who was a famous socialist, right, in in the early 20th century. That was the origin of the holiday. That kind of that was the origin of the movement. Um, so she was close friend with um, Rosa Luxemburg. It's great. I don't know. I still I still like that holiday. And I still feel like so warm about it, although I, I don't really like things that kind of yeah happen around it too much these days.
4: Real, I know the UN has. This is like the twenty fifth year that the UN has celebrated it, as far as I know. Oh really? Even though it's gone back like a, over a century, but yeah, I don't know if they're like marking anything. I was just reading about it. I'm like, oh yeah, coming up on twenty five years.
1: Oh wow, that's 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 interesting. Why? What happened twenty five years ago? Okay, this is something we need to investigate and discuss n- next year. Ta-da. The reason I brought it up not just because I wanted to everyone to join the celebrations, but also because I think that today's topic is kind of closely connected, perhaps you know, to to womanhood, to resistance, to protests. Um, And it is my favorite type of episode. It's audience participation. Yay. Um, and we're discussing another contested term today, vulnerability. So I guess you all know those who are listening to us that we've asked a couple of questions, right? We really wanted to kind of investigate the meaning of vulnerability and the way vulnerability is framed, right? Whether it's a useful concept or not, but we've discovered really quickly that actually this Two questions were really difficult. We tried this before when we discussed resilience, right? And we talked about natural disasters. Um, and we, we've we got so many answers because people have, you know, pretty strong views, right? On, 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 on those topics. It wasn't the same with vulnerability. And I think some of you have even kind of tweeted um, to us saying that um, it, it's kind of an interesting concept, right? And it's been used everywhere. But we're just so confused like i'm not sure what my thoughts are on vulnerability and i think many of us actually kind of share that right because we use it and abuse it and there's so much in the framing of vulnerability that perhaps there's a lot of confusion as well and for different reasons than resilience so what do you guys think i mean what's what's vulnerability for you
2: so i think it's it's not really surprising that there were less people who had a strong opinion on this or who were sure of their um, feelings about this because I don't believe that vulnerability has really been unpacked in our sort of circles fully. Um, and so when we say it's a contested term, I think in in all of society, yes, it is a contested term and um, in, di- in different fields, we see that um, coming through. Appropriately, you know, on in International Women's Day, this topic is definitely something that is, that there's very strong writing about in feminist discourses. Mm. And so, you know how I feel about this. I think that that our community of disaster scholarship needs to be much more um, aware of, of those theories and of... Of those sort of arguments from, from outside about concepts like this. Because I, I feel like we, we see vulnerability in a very narrow sort of frame. And for me, that's missing its potential for connection and solidarity between people. Because generally, we're, we see vulnerability framed or equated with weakness. And I think like for me, the connection between vulnerability and and uh, resilience discourses is, is very important because um, in encouraging people to to just be, you know, p- if you're vulnerable, you, all you got to do is build your resilience. You got to, and it focuses the attention on self improvement, um, the individual uh, individual responsibility for um, making yourself more invulnerable, which to me, is pretty close to being more resilient um, in, a, in a certain way. So, yeah, I, I think this is a, a great topic to be talking about today.
1: Yeah, so much to unpack. Darren, what about you?
4: Yeah, I going into planning this episode, I I feel like I had a very clear personal stance on vulnerability as a concept used in disaster studies. I was very critical of it. Um, I'm surprised at myself uh, encountering so many different opinions that, um, one, helped me sort of deepen my critique, but two, kind of like Jason said, sort of realize that there are potential uses of this term and the concepts attached to this term um, that could produce forms of solidarity Different ways of understanding our material reality and like different ways of bringing out change. Um, I think most recently, something that comes up comes to mind um, as a Floridian and as someone in, in the United States. Uh, it's like encountering a lot of media that's sort of retrospective about the Trump era and like what produced the Trump era and why, why did people vote a certain way in 2020 um, versus 2016. And Juan Gonzalez did a lot of really good reporting over multiple days about, uh, um, I mean, essentially like political mapping in the United States is kind of like, all right, who uh, who are the oppressed non-white, people and like we're just kind of going to assume a lot about those people's material conditions and then also assume a lot about their political behavior um in this case just like not voting for trump (laughs) um and you know there's a lot of gawking at maps uh, specifically of like latinx um where the our census uses hispanic um populations like in florida supporting you know however People want to construe Trump as like a bad guy or like the cause of all political ills Um, and a lot of questions about why that is. And Juan Gonzalez sort of brought out how if we use sort of terms like vulnerability, really, um, and other sort of political, social ideas, it's it's like flattens history if we look at it in a snapshot. Right. So it homogenizes Mm -hmm. like in this case, Latinx identity. And it doesn't attend to a history of a particular like subset of that population in a region. It doesn't attend to those people's relationship with the idea of citizenship or projections of power, international relations or like the country that they migrated from. In Florida's case, Cuba, a very specific set of Cubans migrated from Cuba to Florida at in mass at a very specific moment in time that plays out differently politically and also like speaks to the material conditions very differently than you know, the way people think about vulnerable, undocumented migrants from Central America or from Mexico in the Southwest of the United States. So basically a vulnerability flattens in a snapshot form, in my opinion, it flattens a history, um, but I do see potentials in sort of looking at it at different moments of time to get a full picture of the direction of power.
1: Yeah, this is so interesting. I think it it's really important that you guys are bringing kind of power into this conversation. And I hope, you know, we'll get to reflect a bit more um, on this today because I feel that this is exactly what we are not talking about, right? When we talk about vulnerability. And again, as you, you know, when I was preparing for this episode, I I thought a lot about, Vulnerability generally, um, you know, beyond disaster concept, but just kind of generally as an idea, what, what what is vulnerability? And for me, it's almost like a kind of place of existence, right? Um, in, in, in that it's, it's just there and it's personal. And we all know, I think we all know deep down that we are somewhat vulnerable. And, you know, on some days we're more vulnerable than on other days. And I don't think there is anyone who has not felt vulnerable at some point in their life you know I, th- I think it's normal right to kind of feel vulnerable but thinking about it as an academic do i want to bring my personal into my work kind of not like i mean how do we write in academia right we write in passive voice i it is not part of of my my academic work right i'm, I'm kind of just there to sort of to mediate and that this agent that puts words on paper, but uh, not not as kind of my emotional self, and I wonder whether that partially is um, why so many of us are kind of not really engaging with vulnerability, you know, in in a much more critical sense because we do not want to to reflect our own emotion and like our own fragility, right, and whether it's strength or kind of or or, or, or weakness, but also what what is interesting for me is how vulnerability is just so easily uh, manipulated, perhaps even more than resilience in that, you know, resilience is sort of just, just good, right? <laughs> a great neoliberal good, something to strive for. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well done, everyone. Whereas vulnerability is, is much more complex, I feel, in a sense that it is praised, right? Um, it is pitied, like when, when you're vulnerable, but it is also hated. That, and that shift is just kind of so rapid um, and, and, and just so fast. And sometimes you don't even kind of understand how it happens. Um, and again, sort of going back to the International Women's Day, I think the, wa- the way women are portrayed, right, very often as vulnerable, it, it demonstrates this really, really well. And actually, um, of course, I'm going to read you something, right? I'm sure you've expected um, that. one. Yes. Really short today. It's it, it's um, a really really short um, paragraph from Du Bois, The Domination of Women, and he says um, all womanhood is hampered today because the world on which it is emergent is a world that tries to worship both virgins and mothers, and in the despises motherhood and despoils virgins. Mm. It's that right? How how do we? Um, how do we solve that conundrum if we don't unpack vulnerability?
4: Following this this thread of International Women's Day, I, and what you just shared with us, Ksenia, I want to reflect on, like, major contributions that, um, feminism and feminist studies, uh, has, like, made in terms of academic, sociological, anthropological, um, research. Uh, this is something that uh, Erica Capel James, um, who's an anthropologist, is modeling for me right now, like really pushing for bringing the personal into empirical research and like how do you do that in a system, in a, in a sort of systematized way and how do you do it in a way that like honors yourself and also honors the material like reality of the world. Um, but like just the statement of the personal is political, like and just I, acknowledging that the personal is a scale that is interacting with the other scales that you're looking at. But as we've kind of made clear, vulnerability means different things to each of us. So maybe we can hop into some other perspectives and um, and kind of take a closer look at this.
0: You know, vulnerability means to me Specifically, in the context of hazards and disasters, the ways in which you know particular people and/or groups that they identify with, you know, have been marginalized and bear the brunt of lack of lack of mitigation opportunities and preparedness, as well as the the you know support to be able to effectively respond to and recover from you know, hazard exposures.
5: Um, Space and cities brings together the physical and the social dimension uh, in that it is surrounded by buildings and is occupied by people and these two aspects uh, for me are important and come into play in the vulnerability discourse. Uh, In my own study, I had to create my working definition of spatial vulnerability that in my case includes vulnerability of space and vulnerability from space, meaning that space can be vulnerable but it can also make its occupants uh, vulnerable based on their location in the spatial network
0: the vulnerability for me is related to how we have potentially put species into an unnatural situation that prevents them from using their, their native skills their native adaptations to overcome some of the challenges of life
6: we shouldn't have identity markers like at risk, for example, to like identify socially quote unquote social socially vulnerable populations. But rather I think we should, at least at the school level, be willing to identify how the systems within a school and within a school district are, you know, perpetuating systemic inequity and really meeting the needs of students based on their specific communities' experiences, whether that's where you're working with a predominantly Black and African-American community, predominantly Latinx community, API community, immigrant community, uh, Native English-speaking community, and so on.
3: Vulnerability, like resilience, is a boundary object, meaning that it is often understood, measured, and applied differently across various forms of knowledge. And to me, for it to have any real meaning, you need to be explicit in how you define and operationalize it including the potential harms of using the concept. Even for the most well-intentioned, it has often been applied in unhelpful and at times counterproductive ways. Over the years, my thoughts on vulnerability have evolved and continue to evolve. However, for it to be useful for me and my own work, I frame disaster vulnerability as socially produced, both as a process and an outcome of racist, colonial, and exploitative practices and institutions, not a social characteristic. Rather than labeling people and groups of people as inherently vulnerable, you need to understand the processes that create vulnerability, that make people unequally exposed to risk and poor outcomes following disaster.
4: So as we've heard in these clips, the meanings of vulnerability are diverse, ranging from ecological vulnerability to spatial vulnerability and vulnerability as a social construct. Um, These perspectives are informed by from where we're looking. Um, And this reflects a myriad of disciplines that use this concept and deploy it in different contexts, as well as our own sort of personal experiences and reflections.
1: Indeed. Um, I think these clips really showed how... Difficult it is, right, to even engage with the meaning of vulnerability, and I, I, as 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 I was listening to our guests, it became very clear to me really fast that all of them bring their personal perspectives to to to, to the meaning of vulnerability, right, and the way they kind of they talk about it, and personal, again, you know, I'm kind of going in circles here, it's, it's kind of important, not from the just, just personal individual level, but in, in a way, I suppose, that we talk about vulnerability with other people. So, you know, as you know, um, Jason and I, together with our friends, Neil and Ammer, we published this paper on uh, translation recently. And one of the terms that we asked our friends to translate was vulnerability. And it became just so obvious so fast that not only vulnerability doesn't translate, right, because, well, it does translate, of course it does translate literally, Um, but it only translates as kind of as weakness. And so therefore it doesn't bring any other meaning apart from that meaning of weakness that we want to, we as a Western kind of scientist, right, Um, experts, uh, we want to uh, imply in how we label and see those people whose vulnerability we discuss. And what also becomes really, really obvious therefore is that actually when we talk to people about vulnerability, we are not really talking about vulnerability, but we're talking about kind of um, faults perhaps, or like them being irresponsible you know, to, to, to an extent, right? And um, I, I, Butler kind of explains this really well in that when, when we talk about vulnerability in a neoliberal context, it becomes the conversation about uh, self-preservation. Right, and therefore it's very much linked to um, to, to resilience rather than uh, trying to understand what the root causes of the weakness is and whether weakness is actually the weakness.
2: Yeah, and building on that, on Judith Butler's work, she also, like, says that we need to display our precarity and problematize it. And she talks about how that can be a form of resistance. So, and that, that resistance kind of, Embraces or presupposes that the vulnerability, so it, it says, yes, we are vulnerable, and and this is unjust, and we're going to do something about it collectively, right? And so I, I love that, and one of the authors I love is Erin Gilson, and um, but I want to use a quote from her work. She says, if to be vulnerable is to be weak and subject to harm, then to be invulnerable is the only way to be strong and competent. Invulnerability as a form of mastery is sought at the price of disavowing vulnerability, and so, and like in the last year, we've seen so many um, people trying to disavow vulnerability, you know, in, in light of COVID, and kind of posturing as masters of over vulnerability, um, you know, and of course, it's usually kind of um, male leaders who want to who want to appear. You want to appear as dominant over any external threat, right? And um, it's just so unhealthy, and it's it's oppressive, and it denies the reality of our humanity.
4: I'm sure some theorist has like written this down. I I think I just learned this from groups or like people in the streets. Um, but I've been sort of wrestling with. The idea of like linked fate lately, maybe these last couple years and almost like the paradox or like contradiction of doing organizing work or doing, you know, radical change work, preparing for revolution, maybe um, involving like linking your fate with someone else, be in your own kind of group or in some with someone in a group that is very far from your lived reality. And in doing so, like you are sort of operationalizing the fact that you have collective interests, you don't have to extend even like, you know, sympathy to another group, like their wellness is tied to your wellness. And there are being like inherently like a vulnerable kind of feeling to that um, and a feeling of exposure, but also that generating new forms of strength and power. I don't know. I just had a conversation about this with my friend last night um, who we were like knee deep in um, reading Fanon and Lenin and um, Newton. And, you know, it just kind of got like really heavy, even though I think Huey P. Newton is like a very, very clear writer. And I was asked, like, I don't know. I I feel like I can't be wrong. Like, how do I know how to be right? And really, it's just like, I don't know. Maybe you can start just like, like... you're talking about wanting a pen pal in who's incarcerated. Like why don't you just make a friend with someone who's incarcerated and like put money on their books every once in a while? Like you're literally linking your mm. fate and your like mat- your material conditions with someone else and let other things just kind of flow out of that situation.
1: Like you know, I absolutely agree with you and and you've articulated it so much better than I I kind of, you know, I was trying to think about this in that so I mean Emma Goldman kind of wrote about this, right? And then Butler wrote about that as well in that w- the interconnectedness. And as you were talking, I was um, I'm kind of surrounded by books here. <laughs> okay, I came prepared. Um, so I found this this one one paragraph that sort of speaks to that. And if, if I can read this to you, because I really want to unpack this. I think this is interesting um, in the, about the meaning. And then we'll listen to some more clips. So Butler writes in the um, um, in her essay called Violence, Mourning and Politics. For if I am confounded by you, then you are already of me, and I am nowhere without you. I cannot master the we except by finding the way in which I am tied to you, by trying to translate, by finding that my own language might break up and yield if I am to know you. You are what I gain through this disorientation and loss. This is how the human comes into being again and again as that which we have yet to know. Very cool, right?
4: Period. Yes. So
2: I think all of this kind of emphasizes that vulnerability is a very complex idea, and and it has a positive meaning. And we're we're missing so much potential by framing it as. Um, weakness which you know it's it's not like this is a new um, problem that has just been realized you know ever since the the vulnerability paradigm was popularized there was critiques of it you know being paternalistic um, homogenizing uh, groups and or across groups and so I think that critique has been there but the argument was always like well, at least it allows us to pinpoint injustice and inequality in society and identify root causes of disaster, right? And so that, there was always the argument that it's still like useful because it's getting at that um, risk created in society by the powerful, you know? And so um, I think it's it's really so interesting and we wanted to hear what um, others were We're thinking about this. So the second question we asked was, is vulnerability a useful concept? And does it allow us to frame places and people we wish to prioritize?
0: I like to think that vulnerability is a useful context, you know, in in a very limited sense of being able to say that yes, we do see stratification when it comes to disaster outcomes along the lines of race, gender, ethnicity, class, um, ability, and so forth. However, I think how the, the the concept has been operationalized throughout the literature over the years is that we've reduced it to these secondary variables. And we talk about it as if, you know, women and disabled groups and, you know, uh, you know, ethnic minority groups um, and poor folks are inherently vulnerable to these things without recognizing that the only reason that they're, you know, experiencing these disproportionate outcomes is because of, of what, you know, my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Fayola Jacobs always says that, you know, race is fundamentally about racism and class is about classism. And so we have to sort of provide that context in order to really make, vulnerability, a useful concept and working, you know, construct moving forward, because otherwise we do a disservice to people who, in fact, you know, again, I would like to think these same groups are are in fact inherently resilient because despite the circumstances that they find themselves in um, and have been subjected to, um, they still exist today and have found ways to continue and press on. Um, and and so and we have to recognize that and so the only ways that they really find themselves otherwise is because of these uh, you know issues of, of racism and sexism and classism and any other ism um, that ha- has marginalized groups through systematic means
5: For example people can be, uh, more or less uh, exposed to secondary hazards like uh, collapsing facades along a path or overcrowd of narrow streets or small squares or very popular destinations. Or it can be more or less, people can be more or less capable to protect themselves based on the amount and the quality of visual information that unfolds along a path, which in turn depends on how all the spaces along the path are mutually arranged. In relation to vulnerability, I think that the multiple dimensions of this concept reflect the diversity of the world that we try and understand. Um, What I don't always agree with is um, the way we use the concept, because generally vulnerable equals faulty, so it requires fixing. Um, So we prioritise fixing instead of understanding. We generally don't leave room for fragility. Uh, But I think that not everything has to be fixed or can be fixed. First of all, because we know that vulnerability is systemic. So if we only want to operate on the unsafe condition to fix it, we are just scratching the surface, but we are not solving the problem. And also, uh, because sometimes we can't um, solve it, because what makes a system vulnerable is what makes a system unique.
6: From that lens of looking at the systems that are in place, and are they actually breaking down the barriers to... A accessible, rigorous learning experience for all students, or are they continuing to perpetuate and 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 make the barriers even higher for for these um, communities? Like that's something that I'd much that I think is much more um, important to explore within the educator space. If I could say something to my colleagues right now, I would want to say that we really should be moving away from terms like "at risk" um, to uh, describe. Uh, you know, commu- student communities that, you know, are um, struggling in our, um, in our system and instead take that lens and focus on the systems that we have in place and are they addressing racial inequity, um, are they addressing um, gender inequity, right, are they addressing these, um, y- you know, uh, systems of oppression that exist in society and allowing all students to engage the, the curriculum and engage the learning environment in a truly equitable way, rather than continue to focus on the individual student and their choices and always fall back to, is the student taking responsibility for themselves? Is the parent or guardian helping out?
3: I also often think about how the individuals in communities that have been labeled historically as vulnerable would feel about being viewed or categorized in this way, without consideration of their strengths, their knowledge, their experiences, and their expertise. Thankfully, more recent scholarship on disaster vulnerability has encouraged and highlighted the capacities of communities to prepare, respond, and recover from disasters, and is one example in which we have tried to push back against the discourse that imposes vulnerability as a defining characteristic. In doing so, I hope that we can move beyond responses and calls for action that are focused predominantly on the individual and how the individual can reduce risk and more toward the institutions and actors that produce and reproduce harm and vulnerability. So I think it comes down to what are we trying to understand when we use the concept vulnerability? Without marginalizing, homogenizing, or othering groups of people, we need to focus on the production of vulnerability and turn the attention to who and what institutions reproduce harm and create risk.
2: Okay, so we heard from some of our um, our friends and 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 peers and uh, listeners, and they seem to agree that the current framing of vulnerability in the disaster feel is very problematic. And the the problem here is um, grounded in labeling the vulnerable as weak and as victims. And I think this has come through in disaster literature, but has always been pushed back on um, because of the, the ability of the vulnerability paradigm to actually allow people to organize, you know, and by pinpointing injustice, it opens up opportunities for maybe liberation. And so I think one author I think of here that that is useful for me in framing this is Paolo Freire. And the way that he talks about um, the way that we address injustice in society through one of two ways. Which is humanitarian action or humanizing action, and I think what we're seeing by and large is humanitarian approach to injustice. It does definitely frame the oppressed as weak and as need like needing us, and part of that, like that need, is almost also something that the savior needs to feel needed. And so um, I I feel like a lot of NGO and and government work that's going on in this space is operating from that perspective in a humanitarian sort of way without ever going near the human interconnectedness that you were talking about, Darian. And, And Judith Butler, you were reading Judith Butler saying it's about this interconnectedness, like tying our fates. That's the human-to-human contact and embracing each other's vulnerability.
1: What you've just discussed um, and that framing of kind of, of help, right, We help, help the weak, is really interesting because it brings me to the next point in that weak is a really generalized category, right? So when we help, we help women or we help disabled people or we help children because clearly all the women and all the children we're we're just all kind of vulnerable in exactly the same way right and then you know people come and help us great thank you so much um so what that rejects is, is the human experience right i suppose this rejection is actually critical in the capitalist state right because if we are different, then those differences need to be acknowledged, right, and catered for. But that is not efficient. That is not productive. It kind of, you know, we'll spend something, we'll spend time on something that we can actually spend producing things. And so, I just want to read this couple of sentences from um, Audre Lorde, um, who writes in, in in her essay "Age, Race, Class, and Sex: Women Redefining Differences." So she writes. Institutionalized rejection of difference is an absolute necessity in a profit economy which needs outsiders as surplus people. As members of such an economy, we have all been programmed to respond to the human differences between us with fear and loathing and to handle that difference in one of three ways. Ignore it, and if that is not possible, copy it if we think it is dominant or destroy it if we think it is subordinate. And this is what we do with vulnerability, right? Um, and I said it before, we kind of, we, we beat it and then we destroy it if um, it wants to push our boundaries, right, if it wants kind of to push the frames um, of what is normative. And I think this is exactly where vulnerability is therefore is th- seen like as a technical problem almost, right? Because um, if it's generalizable, then it is technical um, and therefore technocratic solution can be found to a problem. Um, But the problem isn't technocratic, right? So any solution that we come up with, therefore, becomes a solution for a completely different problem.
4: Absolutely. And following that thread of making things technical and uh, empowering only a group of technocrats to deal with a problem, like this, this idea that whole histories and ways of being and ways of imagining the future and physical movement across land uh being turned into a variable is like something i found like i'm critical of and i have language to like be very precise about my critique instead of um kind of just getting a bad vibe when i see vulnerability in some random paper and being like all right the same for me or like let me just read the conclusion and i think fail jacobs uh did really amazing um opening this season um with You know talking about ways that people want to talk about race or gender or income as you know instead of talking about racism or patriarchy or like disinvestment or being underpaid or exploitation um and i think this is also like something that disability studies has uh contributed to our Understanding of the world. And uh, I do want to connect some of these thoughts to a really great paper that I love by Louise Seemster and Daniel Purfoy called What is Environmental Racism for Place Based Harm and relation- Relational Development? And so I know I mentioned like linking fates earlier, um, and that takes intention. Um, But underneath all of that is like the reality that all of our conditions are already linked, right? So in this paper, they talk about not just here's uh, these random parts of Texas that are experiencing environmental degradation. And, you know, oh, these, of course, are like very black and brown parts of Texas. Let's do some, I don't know, regression and a couple interviews and like throw that into a paper. Um, But they talked about the relationship between those parts of town and the sort of surrounding white towns and their environmental practices and policies, official and unofficial, revealing uh, like historic, uh, I think they they use like racial covenants um, between towns to basically agree to like dump certain things or just like treat the environment poorly outside of their bounds. And in this paper, they underscore the point that environmental injustice is not in a vacuum, right? Like it is a process that is undergone to create a nice environment for other people. And it's scary to recognize that because maybe, maybe that means you have to deal with your own pollution within your own jurisdiction. And of course, we see that across scales across the globe.
1: It's kind of, it's really, really difficult to sort of summarize in one sentence, right? In that, can we. Can, can like can we measure vulnerability? Here, here, we go. I'm just gonna throw it back at you.
4: Should we? Yeah, I don't know. I have the question of like, what for? Like, what's you know, what's the research question that measured vulnerability answers that it just like attending to local history or global history like won't answer? Why does it need to be numbered?
1: Well, because unfortunately, the way that policy works, right, is is kind of is is, is numbered, is tangible. And, and that that is precisely the problem, right? That is precisely the problem in that emotion and existence and the condition of that existence cannot be numbered. But then, yeah, then it doesn't uh, translate into G- GDP, right? So. Mm-hmm.
2: so I would say that vulnerability in the sense of um, the way that the most disaster researchers is framing it, you know, as a indicator of injustice. And it's it's a somewhat simplistic framing um, and can, of course, be paternalistic and, and, and so on, as we know. But um, like that quantifying of the magnitude of oppression that people are facing mm. differentially, helping us to identify who we need to link our fates with, right? That's, that, that can be important, I feel. You know, being being able to identify that material condition of the oppressed. Does not mean we gotta do quantitative study about it? I don't know. I
4: feel like, or I sense, you know, I, among us as a, a group and in, in our field um, that Like, we already, at this point, it's like, we kind of already know. And, like, the other side of the coin is, like, why is there not, it's, it's, like, very anxious. um, And it's, it's so difficult and messy. But, like, why is there not a measurement of, like, the dispossession, like, where the dispossession lands? And, like, and, like, the life that that lives, that those resources live. Once they're taken from certain people, be it land or money or
1: yeah.
4: or lost wages or um, lives, uh, and so we kind of have like we have so many different measurements of of this injustice on this side, and we really don't have a clear way. Or sometimes we kind of do, and then like those conversations are disrupted because it's hard.
2: Yeah, I would say Darian the My opinion is that um, the vulnerability discourse has been co-opted to some degree by actors that want to frame disasters as events and as, like, vulnerability to Mm. a disaster which is caused by a hurricane. Right. Like, vulnerability to hazard. That's kind of the way that it's, it's kind of framed. Like, vulnerability has been naturalized in one sense, you know, so they're just vulnerable. You know, it's just kind of the natural condition of things, um, and that's often the way we see social vulnerability kind of talked about. I know, like Laurie Peak and others have kind of flipped that a little bit and said, well, they've been made to be in that condition, like by by others. So they have been oppressed, and they sometimes use the word vulnerableized to indicate that. Um, it's not their their choice or their behavior that has you know increased their risk yeah so I feel like part of it is is just the the way that vulnerability has been used in bad faith
1: but and and that makes sense right in that in the way that that vulnerability in kind of quotation mark is then resolved right with, with these different um kind of projects and programs. And that is where the contradiction is, because whilst vulnerability is seen kind of as, as natural, right, in, in in a bad way, it is also seen as something that can be adjusted, whilst in reality, we very often talk about capacities, right, when we bring kind of different projects and, and, and um, programs. Uh, and this is something that I, I don't really understand. Very often when we talk about vulnerability, we actually act on capacities. And many people believe that this is, you know, two sides of the same spectrum, where they never are. Very often what we do is, you know, we are helping with enhancing capacities, but hardly ever do we actually address vulnerability. Because that takes mobilization, that takes resistance, that, that kind of, that takes solidarity. And programs and projects that are funded from the top down do not offer any of that. And I now, you know, as, as, as I've kind of been listening to you guys today and I've, as I've been listening to the clips that we've received, I wonder whether somehow the way that vulnerability has been framed and positioned, it's almost like in opposite to solidarity in that, you know, we can pity the vulnerable. But we don't want to become the vulnerable. We know that, you know, it's easy to, to, to lose our power, right? And our place in society. And therefore, we would never appreciate the differences, but also try and kind of really understand those differences and, and appreciate that the differences exist. All we can do is that I, I would look down on the vulnerable and feel sorry for them or perhaps fear them. And that is because I don't want to acknowledge that I'm also vulnerable at all. Um, wow, there is so much to discuss, I think. And, you know, we, I, I hope we can continue this conversation. And given that we've started from International Women's Day, I'd like to kind of semi-finish with International uh, Women's Day. And I just want to read um, one more um, one more poem for you from, again, by Audre Lord. We have chosen each other. And the edge of each other's battles, the war is the same. If we lose someday women's blood, we congeal upon a dead planet. If we win, there is no telling we seek beyond history for a new and more possible meeting. Mm. And I think this is what vulnerability is about to me. You know, we, we, we just need to kind of to be together, right? And to, to appreciate that. And to summarize all of this and all the difficulties in disaster studies that vulnerability it has been causing um, and perhaps, you know, the solutions that it has been offering. I think um, let's listen to uh, a little snippet from our friend, JC Gaia, who emphasizes that vulnerability isn't a silver bullet, but there's something that we can learn from it as well.
7: So the concept of vulnerability is a tricky one, I think in the sense that if we look at how it emerged uh, back in the 1970s in our field of disaster studies at least, then it was meant to be a a springboard or a lens to unpack the social dimension of disasters or to support the argument that disasters are social construct. Now, since then, it's been rolled out all around the world in all sorts of cultural environments, it's used in in hundreds of papers every year, and it it, it wasn't meant to be in the first place a, a sort of silver bullet or or, or, or such kind of universal um, uh, concept to to be applied everywhere in the world. It's 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 actually antithetical if we uh, assume that disasters are social constructs to believe that a single universal concept is useful in understanding what happens, let's say, uh, here in New Zealand, or or in the Philippines, or in Chile, or in in Uganda, or, or wherever in the world. It doesn't make much sense. So there's a sort of tension. In the fact that we continue to use a concept which is Latin in origin, which is probably very, very significant and useful in unpacking the social dimension of disasters in countries and, and cultures and societies that share um, a European heritage, but probably not as we are in the world. So I think we, we, we need to reconsider how, how we use the concept. Um, and whether there are alternatives that make much more sense as we are in the world.
2: All right. So thank you all for being with us today again. Next week, we will be starting to focus on uh, the global side, um in a series of episodes. And I just want to give a big thank you to Darian for curating the amazing content in the first um, half of our
4: season. Mm -hmm. It's been
2: just fabulous. Thanks, Darian.
4: Yeah, thanks for uh, letting me collaborate with y'all. This has been such a joy.
1: Thank you, Darian. And of course, you'll be back with us for the final episode of the season. So
2: we'll
1: get to talk to you. And for all the special episodes, uh, this is it. You're stuck with us. oh. oh, oh.
2: Yeah, we we have a lot of special episodes um sort of lined up um that we're working on editing. And if you're not already following our live streams, we're doing like quite a few live streams recently. So follow us on on the YouTube channel. Um uh, there we stream out to our Facebook group, we stream to Twitter. Um just look out for those live streams coming at you generally every week or two. So they've been fun too. It's a different, different dynamic. And um, we're, we're going to release some of those as podcasts, but we, we would love if you guys could join us live in the stream and engage with the show and ask questions on the stream. Um, it's really fun. Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast.
1: You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon.
2: The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe.
1: And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you.
2: You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time.